We've, we really feel like God is calling us to focus on drawing near to him, getting to know him better. That, and that out of that, uh, a picture that I had was just like a campfire, a, a fire going, that as we draw near to him, we're like a piece of wood that gets near that campfire. And once we're near that campfire, all of a sudden we burst into flame. And uh, so we've been focusing, in our sermons, we're focusing on the attributes of God. Who is God in this area? And, that, and then secondarily, what does that mean about who we are in Christ? And how do we go forth and activate the gifts that he's been giving us? So last week, Wayne taught about that God is love. And that's, the f- that's one of the basic foundations. Uh, this... Actually, I was thinking about that one, and, and uh, that's a good one. But then I, this one is similar to it. I feel like the Lord has put on my heart to talk about that God is good. And, uh, but what does that mean? What is good? Um, you know, sometimes the word good can be kind of vague. Uh, I know when, when we teachers who teach writing... Uh, grade students papers we try to get them to avoid that adjective because it it's so vague um we try to try to get them to be more specific um so we're going to look at some things are these things good uh look at the first picture here Uh, that is that dog is good yeah so they're good good means he looks friendly, and he's definitely obedient, right? All right, so that's, that's something about good. How about the next one? Pa- pecan pie a la mode. That ice cream looks like Briar's vanilla to me. Uh, that looks good, okay? So good can mean desirable. All right, here is a picture that breaks my heart. I don't know if any of you recognize it. Um, this is... Super Bowl 36 in the year 2001. It was, we watched it f- from a breakfast Super Bowl party in Thailand with my brother. Uh, the Rams were the best team that year. This is Adam Vinatieri, the kicker, and his field goal was good. And I don't know how you feel, but to me, that was very bad. That was not good at all. The only thing good about it is probably God used it to help me not to make an idol out of sports, but uh, God can work anything for good, right? So there, good can mean accurate, hits the mark. Um, Who's next? Captain America. Captain America is good in several ways. He is moral. He always does the right thing. He is virtuous. He sacrifices himself. In fact, at the end of the Captain America movie, he crashed the ship that was going to cause to destroy America or something like that. He crashed it into the ice. And um, The thing about it is, those guys in Marvel, comic, Marvel movies, they never really die anyway. So, um, But he's that way. He's also powerful. Powerful is good. Capable is good. All right? We've got one more here. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, he was good. Evidently, he was cool as well. Uh, 
I don't know who made that picture anyway. Not me. Um, but uh, he was very talented, right? So that's another meaning of, of good. You know, as a teacher, one of my very, very favorite things in the world to do is to grade papers. That, that's sarcasm there. Um, but you can't just write good job on every one, right? You have to use some variety. So I, I've come to realize that in my mind, I've got a hierarchy of grading comments that I write on the student's paper. And um, the top one, I think, is awesome, but I don't write it very much. I try to reserve that, that word in my vocabulary for things that God does. But if I think it's a miracle that you got such a good grade on that paper, <laughs> I'll write it on there. Uh, then there's terrific. You know, that is the best. Super, you went above the call of duty. Great. Now, today's great may not be as good as great was in the past. Um, and, then, and then right somewhere in the middle there falls good. You know, it's like, oh, it's all right. It's a little above so-so. Uh, and then there's other ones, you know, nice fix. Terrible, that's probably, I wouldn't write something like that, but if I was writing the beginning of the word and my mind was numb from so many papers, I might accidentally write the wrong word. So uh, good, good is a little vague. So what does it mean when we say that God is good? Uh, well, it's in the Bible a lot, so let's look at some passages. First, Mark 10, 17 and 18. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus always has the right answer for people. It's not always what we would say. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. It teaches us something about good, right? I think, I think Jesus had two points here. First of all, I think the man was trying to figure out what he could do to, to uh, get salvation. And Jesus was pointing out, you're not good and you can't be good uh, without me. Now, he, he also was leading him on. Like, why do you call me good? But what he wanted him to recognize is that actually Jesus is good and it's only through his righteousness that he can be saved. All right, another passage that talks about God being good is in Psalm 119, starting at verse 65. And it says, it uses good several times in this passage. Do good to your servant according to your word, Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment. For I trust in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. Now, being afflicted does not sound good, does it? But here he says, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. Is that good? Yeah, I think that's good. You are good, and what you do is good. Even the affliction part, I think it implies. Teach me your decrees, because evidently they are good as well, right? So here at church every week, uh, we say that together, don't we? God is good, and all the time, 
God is good. It's our liturgy. You know, I grew up in Lutheran church. They had liturgy. Charismatic churches have liturgy too, right? Uh, that's okay as long as we mean it. Um, but do we, you know, every week we talk about God's character, that he's good. But what does it mean in our lives? And do we really know him this way as good? I mean, in our heads, we all know, yeah, God is good. That's the right answer. But do I know him relationally that he is good? Uh, I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Bill Johnson last week while I was running, and he was talking about the same kind of stuff we are. And he said this, whenever God reveals something about his nature, it always comes with the invitation to know him in that way. Never does the understanding of his nature come to us just to make us more theologically sound. That's important, but it is secondary. What's important is to know him in that way, to encounter him. So when he says, I am your provider, I don't want to walk away from that revelation without provision. When he says, I am your holiness, I don't want to walk away the same way that I came in. I want to leave changed because I have encountered him. And now relationally, I come to know him in that way. So that's our goal. It's not just head knowledge of who God is, but it's to draw near to him, to deepen in him, uh, deeper in our relationship with him. That's who he is, and we've got a heart trust that he's going to be that way for us. Amen? So, you know, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God gave us a good picture to reveal himself as being good to us, and that's as a good shepherd. And uh, so we're going to look at that this morning about who is the good shepherd and what does that say about his goodness. And at the same time, we also want to pay attention to what that says about us, who we are in Christ and how we live day to day with him. So let's first look at the New Testament. John chapter 10, Jesus describes himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, what, what is it in that passage that makes him good? I think that he said it twice. I lay down my life for the sheep. He is willing, his being willing to lay down his life for us. He will not abandon us for his own interests. Okay? You know, our value to him is not just what he can get out of us. In fact, 
why would that be of any value to God anyway? Because he can create whatever he wants to, right? So there is something else that he values in us. He, value, he cares about us. He values us for who we are. And he's proved it by laying down his life for us. You know, if the devil ever comes to you and says, you know, tries to make you feel like you're worthless, a worm, and, and God doesn't love you, you've got proof to look back on that says that's not the case. And that is the fact that Jesus died on the cross. He paid the highest price possible for you. No, not just for the other people in the world, but you as well. And so that is his goodness. That's the heart of his goodness, that he lays down his life for us. So he will not leave us when the going gets tough. We sang this morning, uh, blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me and the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name also when there's pain in the offering, right? And when I'm going through troubles, blessed be your name. He, is, he does not leave us. The other thing is he, he will not leave us because he's tired of us or annoyed with us. Uh, those of you who are parents, or maybe you've been a babysitter, or maybe you're a young person and you've got a little brother or sister or relative, and it's kind of fun to play with little guys for a while, and then after a while we might get tired or worn out or tired of whatever that they're doing, and we need a break, right? Well, how many times has God taken a break from looking after and caring for us? He doesn't do it. Sometimes you feel like maybe he did, but the truth is he hasn't, and he doesn't, and he won't. Praise the Lord. He is good. You know, because he's already demonstrated his goodness to us in this way, giving up his life for us, giving up all of his energy and time to look after us, we can trust him in all other matters in our lives. Romans 8.32 says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Students in our school are studying logic with Mr. Hauser this semester. This is logic, right? Is this good logic, Mr. Hauser? There are no fallacies in this argument, right? If he gave up Jesus, if he was willing to pay that price, do you think he cares about whether you can pay your bills? Or do you think he cares about you being healthy? Do you think he cares about uh, your relationship that's not going well with the person at work or a person at home or, or whoever? Do you think he cares about whatever kind of issue you're having? Yes. And he is willing to do something about it because he's gone far above that already. Praise the Lord. He is good. In the Old Testament, of course, the, the revelation about his goodness comes in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. And uh, we're going to look very closely at that passage this morning and look at what makes him good. How does he show his goodness to us? How many of you can quote the Lord, the Psalm 23? I won't make you do it right now. But uh, 
That's a, good, that's a good one to memorize because if we meditate on that, it reminds us of his goodness. How many of, by, by the way, do you, have you noticed how much energy the devil spends trying to make God look bad? In other words, not good to us. I mean, uh, think about the world and, uh, and the complaints that they have. I've noticed that people who even say they don't believe in God end up, when something bad happens, come back and end up blaming God. Um, but let's look at how he's good. We don't want to talk about what the world thinks. Um, so it starts out, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I looked at, I looked it up and the word used for green there denotes a kind of grass that is brand new, fresh, or tender. Not, not the stuff that's hard to eat. Although I generally don't eat grass. But um, sheep, sheep that lie down are well fed. They're satisfied. He's brought them to a place. The picture of that place sounds like a very peaceful, restful place as well. Now, I'm a dad. I'm middle-aged. Um, if I have a good meal and I don't have to work right after the meal, I like to lie down and take a nap, especially on Sunday, especially today. Uh, it's been a busy week. You know, that's a good thing, right? How many of you middle-agers know what I'm talking about? Um, now... This is just not talking about us getting enough sleep, right? But we're also thinking spiritually, emotionally, and in every other way. He feeds us. He brings us to a place of rest. The next line says, He leads us. He leads me beside still waters. Okay? So they're not rapid moving torrents where the, sh the sheep would not be able to drink from that. Um, but, and, and maybe not uh, stagnant uh, foul waters, but gently moving waters, still quiet waters. Um, it's a place of peace, of sustenance, and rest for his sheep. In Psalm 36, starting at verse 7, it says, How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They feast on the abundance of your house. You give them drink from your river of delights. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. You know, Jesus said, what he said, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly, right? And that's kind of what we see in that psalm passage. Uh, that God gives us a feast. You know, in my quiet time as I journaled, I felt like the Lord said to me recently, um, you know, we're all in a position where sometimes we are also the shepherd. Uh, in other words, he's put, given us people to minister to as well, whether it's our children or, or, you know, other people he's called us to make disciples of. Um, and... He's, I felt like he said to me, take care of my sheep. Are they growing? 
are you giving them opportunity to eat at the proper times? Because that's what he does for us. Are you encouraging them to do so when they come into pasture? For I have provided a daily bounty for my children. I have given rich sustenance from my word and my presence. Strengthened in me, they will grow strong and wise, able to stand firm and be ministers themselves. But do not let the sheep play and neglect their food. How many of you have had kids who play with their food and neglect it, but they don't eat it? What, you know, if it doesn't get in there, it doesn't help uh, nourish us, right? And we as Christians, with God's word, and with our relationship praying and communicating with him, we need to be careful. Uh, we get so busy. You know what? We get busy with work. We can get busy ministering, right? Uh, we also, uh, our society is very busy with entertainment and uh, busy with our own things that we neglect what God has put before us to strengthen us. Um, we don't want to do that. And we want to encourage one another as well. So we, as sheep, we must receive our shepherd's good provision. It's always there. But we need to take advantage of his word and his presence in our lives. Verse 3 of Psalm 23 says, He restores my soul. Now, what's our soul? Our soul is our, generally we say our mind, our will, and our emotions, right? And uh, how many of you know, how many, well, everybody knows, I think, our souls, uh, you know, we encounter a lot of things in life. Our souls get wounded. Our souls are damaged. Our souls get discouraged. There are other things that pull us down. And uh, our, own, our own sins cause damage. You know, one of the things why God doesn't want us to sin, probably the main reason God doesn't want us to sin is sin is destructive. It's destructive to other people, but it's destructive to ourselves as well. Now ask anybody who's ever been addicted to anything. Okay, sin is destructive. Um, so our own sins cause damage. The sins of other people take their toll on us, on our souls. But he provides healing and restoration for both. And that's a part of his goodness. He restores our soul. He delivers us from things like fear, anger, grief, bitterness, regret. That's a big one. That's something God doesn't want us to have is regret. You know why? Because Jesus purchased the past. There are a couple of places in the New Testament where Paul says, the, future, the present and the future belong to you and God. But think about it. If we gave our lives to Jesus, the past is his. And he doesn't want us uh, hanging on to uh, bitterness towards other people, but also regret about our own decisions and our own past failures. Because that uh, is destructive to our soul. And uh, discouragement. Sometimes you're plugging away and you don't see the answer, you don't see uh, the benefit, and we get discouraged. And he, he is the one who restores our soul. 
So think about it today. What is it in your soul today that needs restoration? Because the word says he restores our soul. That is part of his goodness. Next it says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake means be, because that's who he is. You know, your name is who you are. And it's for his glory as well that he wants us to walk in paths of righteousness. But how many of you can see the right path ahead of you <laughs> accurately? Uh, I mean, we can see him, we know him, but there's so many situations and areas of life where we have no clue what is the best way or what decision or choice we should make. What should we say? Where should we look? Where should we go? Whom should we be with? Who do we believe? When should we try? And on our own, we're often blind and ignorant. It's like we're going through one of those corn mazes. And all we see is what's right ahead of us, and we don't see the big picture. But the thing is, God does. So Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. Do you trust in the Lord? But how many times do we lean in, on our understanding? And, and our understanding gets much bigger because now we have the internet. So if I've got a health problem or any other kind of problem, I can look it up. I don't need an expert to tell me. But the, tend but the problem is if I start looking to my own understanding, like, okay, I understand this problem, rather than looking to God first, and I'm not saying that sometimes understanding, it, we, we don't get understanding, but, but he says, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on it. Trust in the Lord. And he, he will lead us. In all your ways, submit to him. Submit to him in all. And he will make your paths straight. And when we look at a shepherd, we think of leadership, right? The shepherd leads the sheep. But sheep have to submit to the shepherd, right? Sheep must follow. The shepherd never tells the sheep to go out ahead and lead because <laughs> uh, sheep are not capable of doing that. In another way, often we sin and we stray from our shepherd because we're deceived, right? A lot of times sin is a result of believing the wrong thing uh, or, to th or to be confused about what is right. Is this good or bad? Is this, you know? And we often fall into sin because we don't know the right way or we're not sure of it or we've been ignoring <laughs> what, what tells us what the right way is. But Psalm 119, what I read before, verse 68, I'll read it again. You are good. And what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. That's, that's got to be a daily prayer. Teach me your decrees. Show me your way, Lord. And so he is good in the fact that he leads us. And, as, and so for us, what does that mean? We submit to him and we look for his leading in our lives and not just our own understanding. Verse 4 of the psalm says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. 
That's the thing, right? So look at it this way. God is not promising that we are going to walk through life without troubles. Right? Jesus said this in uh, John 16, 33. He says, I've told you things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He has not promised us anything of the sort of a problem-free life. And we should never mislead people that we're trying to lead to the Lord and say that accept Jesus and your troubles will disappear. <laughs> They'll come back and say, what did you tell me? It's not true. But, but what, what we do have is that he is with us. And if he is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And if he, is the, if he is good, we don't have anything to fear. Right? That's why it's so important to believe that God is good. Sometimes, also, we, we should not get confused what comes from God and what comes from the devil. Because there are times when the devil tries to get to think that these problems must be coming from God. In other words, there's a difference between what God brings us through and what God has designed for us. You know what I'm saying? And I'll prove it to you. Somebody sins against you. Did God want that person to sin? No, no. And so that, that's pretty clear, right? And so, will God use the things that we go through for his glory? Absolutely. Now, there are some troubles that it, it might be God's will for us to suffer persecution could definitely be God's will because you know what? It was God's will for Jesus to suffer persecution and death, right? But not every trouble was thought up and created by the heart of God. Absolutely not. But, and so we don't want to get confused and blame things on God and say God, God is good because God made that person hurt me. <laughs> no, that's not good. It doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And that's why people in the world will often, who don't believe in God, they will accuse God and say, if God is so good, then why does he allow so much suffering and evil in the world? Well, there is an answer to that question, but we're getting confused between God's goodness and the enemy or sinful people's wickedness. And we really don't want to blame God for what the devil does. Because the devil does some things, and people do some things too. Now people might say, well, God's in charge of the whole thing, so he could have control over it. Well, yes, he could. But in the way he's designed the world is that people have choices, and that's good for us. Because how many of you like freedom? If there, if there were no choice, we'd have no freedom. It, without choices, there would not be such a thing as love. Because how can you love without a choice, right? We're not toys. We're not robots. God made us to be children. And evidently, he thought it was worth it 
that there was a possibility, a great possibility, that we would make the wrong choices. And therefore, there would be trouble and pain and suffering in the world. And yet, here is where God is good. And that is that he has promised to be with us through it all. And most of all, going back to what Jesus said, he sent the good shepherd who laid down his life for us, the sheep. And pulled us out of our own wrong choices and pulls us through and heals us from the results of other people's sin. We know that everything bad that happens in the, in the world, in our daily lives, comes from the curse of sin. It all goes back to sin, sinful choices, and the results of them. And we do have to live through that in this world. But God is good, and he pulls us through. Amen? And he does not abandon to us. He is with us all the time, and we can have confidence in that. He is capable like Captain America, only more so, and powerful, and wise, and righteous. He is desirable, even more than pecan pie a la mode with Briar's ice cream. His ways are right, and he's committed to our best interests. In the Old Testament, the psalm, it said, the righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Amen. And we can count on that. He goes on in the, the next part of the verse. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's the rod and the staff? Well, generally, I think, uh, think of two problems, two things we need defense from. Uh, and one is enemies that may attack and the, I think the shepherd used the rod to fight off, one of their uses for the rod is to fight off uh, enemies. You know, we, we remember David killed the lion and the bear. And uh, just like that, God is not going to abandon us in the face of our enemies. He cannot be defeated, can he? Do you believe that he is with you? That's the promise that's his goodness there's another thing that we need defense from and that is ourselves po the old comic strip Pogo I don't know if you're familiar with with him had a famous saying we have met the enemy and he is us that's the takeoff on from the war of 1812 there was an admiral admiral in the battle of Lake Erie I think it was he said, we have met the enemy and he is ours, right? Well, we have met the enemy and he is us. <laughs> and how many times is that true? You know, I trust God, but I don't trust myself. <laughs> you know, isn't that, uh, I know I, I feel that way a lot of times. And, you know, but, but the shepherd's staff, that hook thing, um, the hook is for getting around, I guess, the neck. I've never been a shepherd before. Uh, and when the, when the sheep goes off the path, strays away, the shepherd pulls the sheep back. And that's the comfort. That's how the staff com comforts us. You know, I know how weak I am, and I know how prone to wandering or failure, or that I could go the wrong way accidentally. And, uh, but I am confident I am comforted that his rod 
defeats my enemies and his staff pulls me back when I'm going astray. And uh, that is part of his goodness. Remember that part of a good father's love is discipline. True? Yes. Verse 5 says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I don't know, this kind of, some people say like this is a victory, like kings that won a victory would, would eat a banquet and the enemies would be somewhere disabled and having to watch. Okay, but this, it describes victory. Victory over the devil in the world. It also provides protection from attacks. In other words, the table God provides for it, we've talked about his provision. It's not like the enemies aren't there, that you're going to have no enemies, but you're going to be able to sit down and dine and even feast, even when the enemy's around, because God is holding them at bay. Amen? It, I think it talks about overcoming persecution for the name of Jesus Christ. It talks about loving your enemies. He'll put you at the same table with the enemy and tell you to love him. And it talks about rejoicing in the midst of trials. Romans 8.28 says, anybody want to quote it? And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Um, I don't know if any of you have he ever heard of Nick, Nick Ripkin. Uh, he's written a book called The Insanity of God. And uh, it's, uh, he and his family were missionaries in, what was that country? In Africa, where there was a bad civil war, one of the t most terrible places to live. And he ended up having a son die on the mission field. And he was very discouraged. And then the Lord led him to go and uh, to places where there has been much persecution and interview people who have been persecuted. And in the book, he tells a story of in the former Soviet Union during the, the communist time there, a man named, who they called Dmitri. And uh, during the heart of communism there, uh, there were no good churches nearby to go to. And I guess in answer to his wife's prayers, one day he decided, I want to read the Bible twice a w uh, several times a week with our boys. I want to teach them the truth because they were Christians. And so they did. And being in a small village, people heard them singing and s telling the stories of God. And so people started asking, can we come too? And before you know it, there were 50 people coming in this little tiny house. And, uh, and the government, uh, the authorities noticed because the authorities are always watching in those societies. And so they, uh, they, they lost their jobs and other little things like that, he said. And then uh, more people came and then an, an authority a policeman came during a meeting and, ass and basically assaulted 
Dimitri, and an old lady there said, you have, a, you have laid hands on the man of God and you will not survive. And two, two nights later, that police officer died. Well, the next week, twice as many people came. <laughs> and so did the authorities, and they took Dimitri away to prison. And it was a terrible prison. And out of 1,500 inmates, he was the only Christian. And it was awful. But he survived for 17 years. And it talks about two disciplines, two spiritual disciplines that he followed. And one was every morning early, he would get up and stand at attention toward the east and uh, sing what he called his heart song to God, a love song of God's faithfulness to God. And he would do that every day. And the other prisoners did not appreciate it. And they would yell at him and they would throw unmentionable things at him. And, uh, and the other thing he would do is that whenever he could find a scrap of paper, which they weren't allowed to have, and something to write with, perhaps a little piece of charcoal, he would take that little piece of paper and write out as many Bible verses and songs of praise that he could that he could fit, that he could think of and fit on the piece of paper. And he would write that out and then there was some kind of concrete post in his cell that was, uh, that sewage ran down and in the winter it was frozen, but he would stick the paper up on that, on that post in his cell uh, as an offering to God. And when the authorities, when the guards would see that, they would beat him terribly but he would do that whenever he could and he would be delighted and sometimes he would find a piece of paper. And, uh, and so the way the story goes, uh, this went on for 17 years and he would, he would stood up and did those things. And uh, at one point they came to him and they said, Dimitri, we, they, we said, your, your wife is dead we've killed her and your son we've taken him your sons we've taken them away and he was at the point where he broke and he said okay I will sign the paper all he had to do was sign a paper saying that uh, he did not believe in Jesus and that he was paid by the Western countries as a spy and um, he said I'll do it I'll do it the next day and um, God is good. Sorry. Um, that they hadn't really done that to his family. And his family, his brother, his wife, and his sons and were gathered together and one of them said, I feel like we need to pray for dad. And, and they did. And uh, <coughs> God enabled him to actually hear their voices praying while he was in his cell because he was heartbroken that he had given in. And he realized they were fine. So the next morning, the guards came and said, okay, we've got the papers. And he said, I am not signing anything. Get out of my sight. Get out of here. I'm not signing anything. And, uh, and so they said, okay, we're going to take you out and we're going to kill you. And... Uh, I just, I'm going to pick up and I'm going to read from the story here. It says, 
From that time, his persecutors continued to discourage and silence him. Dimitri remained faithful. He was overwhelmed one day by a special gift from God's hand. In the prison yard, he found a whole sheet of paper. And God, Dimitri said, had laid a pencil beside it. They weren't allowed to have pencils. They used them as weapons. Dimitri went on, I rushed back to my jail cell and I wrote every scripture reference, every Bible verse, every story, every song I, I could recall. I knew that it was probably foolish, but I couldn't help myself. I filled both sides of the paper with as much of the Bible as I could. I reached up and stuck the entire sheet of paper on that wet concrete pillar. Uh, then I stood and looked at it. To me, it seemed like the greatest offering I could give Jesus from my prison cell. Of course, my jailer saw it. I was beaten and punished. I was threatened with execution. Dimitri was dragged from his cell. As he was dragged down the corridor in the center of the prison, the strangest thing happened. Before they reached the door leading to the courtyard, before stepping out into the place of execution, 1,500 hardened criminals stood at attention by their beds. They faced the east and they began to sing. Dimitri told me that it sounded to him like the greatest choir in all of human history. 1,500 criminals raised their arms and began to sing the heart song that they, <coughs> sorry, that they'd heard Dimitri sing to Jesus every morning for all of those years. Dimitri's jailers instantly released their hold on his arms and stepped away from him in terror. One of them demanded to know, who are you? Dimitri straightened his back and stood as tall and as proud as he could. He responded, I am the son of the living God and Jesus is his name. The guards returned him to his cell. Sometime later, Dimitri was released and he returned to his family. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The righteous man will have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. Amen. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The psalmist continues, You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I think about David, anointed by Samuel years before. But from that time when he was a, boy, a young man, anointed, lots of stuff happened, including many years where he was driven out of society and chased around by King Saul trying to kill him. Uh, separated from God's people, separated from his family. And um, yet God was with David and blessed him. Uh, anointing with oil represents God's calling for us to minister. That's one thing. Another thing is him pouring out his Holy Spirit on us. And thirdly, filling us with his joy. Uh, and gladness, that's an anointing with oil also in the scripture. In First Samuel we read, So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed David in the presence of his brothers. And from that day, 
on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. For us, we can look at Isaiah 61, the first three verses. And uh, Jesus quoted this scripture. It was about him. But it's, it's also about us as we walk in the ministry of Jesus as he has poured out his spirit on us. And it says this. I want you to think about, this is the goodness of God as well. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. God pours out his spirit and his goodness so that we will minister to those around us. Amen? It's not just for us. And so the psalmist goes on, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now, the Hebrew word for follow really means to chase after, like a predator chases after a prey, or like an army chases after its enemy. Okay? So, <laughs> it's an interesting picture. You are going through the valley of the shadow of death, and yet, goodness and mercy are chasing after you. God's goodness and mercy will not let you go. That's an awesome thought. You know, so God is good. There is sin and there is suffering in the world, but God is good. And I, you know, have you ever been in a speedboat and it makes a big wake behind? And I feel like this is also saying, surely goodness and mercy follow me. God is pursuing you with his goodness and mercy in every situation. You can count on it. But also, goodness and mercy follows you. All those left in your wake around you should be affected by the anointing he has put upon you and the overflowing of your cup. Amen? And this is where we get to the part of using, activating the gifts. It's because of his goodness that goodness overflows from you to the world around you. Amen? Finally, he closes, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, what I thought is, you know, we couldn't help, we, and we couldn't hope to ever dwell in God's house with him if he did not desire it. He wants it. He desires for you to be with him forever. Isn't that awesome? You can say awesome there because God does it. It's God, right? He is good. We are his children adopted into his family, right? He, that means he chose us. He desires us. We are the spotless bride of Christ. You choose your bride, usually. In our society, we do. Yeah? He chose us as a bride. 
We are his sheep that dwell in his fold. He's chosen us. Eternal hope and joy, comfort, peace, and blessing are ours as we dwell in him. Paul said if we go through this life and not believe in the hope that we have, the eternal hope of living with Jesus forever in heaven, we're to be pitied more than all people, right? But we do have that hope. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. And so we know that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is good. So, just before, we, in closing, I want to read one more scripture from the Old Testament that talks about a shepherd. It's Ezekiel 34. And uh, I want to read the part about what God will do for us as a shepherd. And uh, starting at verse 11, it says this, For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so, I, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good, na good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. What awesome promises there are in there. So before we continue with the service, I just want to review what we've said about God's goodness. What does this say about who we are with him? Number one, he wants us to utterly depend on him for all things in life. Secondly, he desires us to trust in him because he is good. Know that he will not fail us nor abandon us. Also, we must feed on his, his rich word that he provides in the green pastures he leads us to and his presence so that we will remain strong and grow. Next, we can know that we can face any difficulty with confidence and peace because we know his goodness. We must follow his leading on right paths because he will lead us. That's a promise. Even when we tend to stray, he knows how to pull us back on his way. And finally, the anointing and blessing that he provides for us should overflow to those around us. His goodness and mercy will follow us throughout our lives, even in the sense that those who are in our wake are blessed by his goodness as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are good, that you are a good shepherd. And I pray, Lord, that as we have heard these things from your word, that you would... Um, 
deepen that into our hearts that we would not just know about you that you're good, but that we would know and experience that you are good. No matter what kind of thing we're going through, you are a shepherd we shall not want and that we have hope for victory in our current situations and eternal hope of life with you where everything will be made right. And this morning, Lord, whatever need each one of us is facing right now, we come before you with that. We come before you with those things. And we want to bring them to you because you are a good shepherd. We know that you are with us right now. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and minister your goodness to each person right now. We thank you for your goodness. We bless you, Lord. Our hearts are filled with praise to know how much you love us, that you have given Jesus Christ for us. How much more will you not also graciously give us all the good things? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.